So open your Bibles and let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 8. And it says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, that's Sunday morning, Jesus died on Friday. He's been in the grave since Friday evening, Friday afternoon late. So it says, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask you now to just interrupt our thoughts. Interrupt our hearts, Lord. There may be people here, we got like some kind of shell around our heart. We're not letting you in. We're not listening. We have some kind of barrier that's up. Lord, I just pray that in your mighty power, I know you're not going to force your way into any of our lives. You love us so much, you create us with a free will. And even with that free will, you will let us, even though it pains you so deeply, you'll let us close you out. You'll let us walk away from you. And I pray that that wouldn't happen. Paul prayed for the Ephesians that you would open the eyes of their heart, open the eyes of the understanding, open our eyes, open our hearts right now. Help us to receive your truth, your gospel, your word. Because you are alive, it changes everything, everything. Our, our life can be changed today. Our eternal destiny changed. And so, Lord, I pray that you would change us by our being here today because we're encountering your great power. You are our living hope. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, I don't want to waste any time here. I want to get right to the point. All right? So there's two questions today. Are you ready? Two questions that we want to ask, and this is it. What does the resurrection mean, and why Does it even matter? Why does it really matter? Because, I mean, how is it that something that happened around 2,000 years ago can impact our lives so much today? I mean, here's the truth is that as a Christian, you live in celebration and the power of the resurrection every day, not just one day a year, right? But, you know, Easter Sunday, we call it that, uh, reading Josh Provo, one of our missionary friends uh, that we love and support who is in, um, uh, where is he, Bulgaria, uh, that, that he said they call it the great day there. They don't call it, they call it the great day. It is a great day. But the neat, the neat thing is every day can be a great day because Jesus lives, okay? So please understand that. Uh, but how is it that, you know, a lot of times that on this day, there'll be parking lots and churches that are jammed and, and people just kind of show up and it gets our attention. Why is it that it's such a big day? 
Why, why, is it really that significant? Is it just, you know, something that we do? Well, the truth is, is that what the video said is, is accurate. It changes everything. And I'm glad people give it a little bit of attention today, and I hope that it gets through. I hope that we'll let God get through to us today. Because I know what it's like growing up in church to come to church all your life. Or maybe you've been here because somebody, like, you know, talked you into it, right? Somebody, like, tried to... To, to con you into coming to church and you just said, okay, I'll go, I'll do it, right? And, and you're here, but you might just, I'm going to be here and I'm going to sit through it and, and then I'm going to leave, right? And, and, but, but you don't let the Lord get in. So I'm praying that you'll let the Lord in and let him speak to your heart. Because this right here that we're talking about isn't just something that we believe. This is an historical fact, the resurrection of Jesus so what we're celebrating today isn't just something that we believe like a fairy tale. It's a real thing. It's a real deal. It wasn't done in secret. And by the way, there's testimony outside of the Bible. There are historians who lived that weren't, that weren't Christ followers at all who wrote about it. We've got testimony outside of the Bible. And besides that, Jesus appeared to lots of people during the weeks after his resurrection. Um, there was not a lot of controversy in the time that Jesus lived about whether the grave was empty or not. There's not a lot of controversy about that. Everybody knew it. And the thing about it is, all of his enemies had to do to stop things right where it was, was to produce a body. They never could do that, could they? All right? They never could do that. Um, Everybody knew something happened there in Jerusalem, all right? So they're going to get the, the, the slides caught up here in a minute, so please don't be distracted, all right? Because you've got to hear this, that there have been very prominent people through these centuries, all through the centuries since that time, that were not believers that looked at just the evidence of the resurrection and it convinced them. You know, in the last hundred years, there's people like C.S. Lewis, who was an avowed atheist, there's people even in our own time uh, right now like Josh McDowell. Josh McDowell was an atheist, and he set out to write paper uh, to prove, to disprove the resurrection. And that was one thing he was going to do. He was an atheist. He didn't believe in God. And he wanted to disprove and just show that this is a ridiculous myth. And the problem was as he tried to write a paper and do all this research and studying and looking at all the physical evidence, the judicial evidence, and all of these things, he came to the point that he could not deny, deny it any longer. And he got saved and now has had for many years a, a ministry of defending the faith. Lee Strobel was another one. There's been so many people that start out as an atheist and when they just really examined the evidence and looked at it on this one thing, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they really looked at it fairly, it was so overwhelming and so powerful that it convinced them that Jesus is really who he says he is and that they got saved and now they're serving him and working for him. So it's a real thing. So what does it mean? Let's just start there, okay? Are you ready? What does a resurrection mean? It means, first of all, get this. The resurrection, the fact that the tomb is empty, the fact that Jesus not only died for our sins, but that he rose from the grave, it means, first of all, that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He made some incredible claims while he was here on earth. Many times he said things, I mean, he said many times things that equated himself with God, did he not? Things like, uh, before Abraham was, I am. He said things like, I'm the savior of the world. He said things like, I'm the only way to heaven, right? You remember that? He said things like, let me see if I can put this verse up there. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, he said, I am 
the resurrection and the life. I am. It's not just I can give it to you or I know what it is. He says, I am. Are you getting this? The resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, and that word about believe there isn't just that you believe he really existed, but you have faith in him. You trust in him. If you believe in him, he says, he says, through, he says though he may die, if you believe in Jesus, though you may die, you shall live. So here's the neat thing about it. It's for the believer and the one trusting in Jesus Christ You don't really die. I mean, because physical death just becomes the stepping stone to even more life and better life than what we've ever known or could ever have had. A lot of people just try to say that Jesus was a good teacher. You know, they try to just lump him in there with everybody else, you know. They try to lump him in with all the philosophers and the good teachers that came along. But, you know, Jesus really didn't leave us that option, did he? He didn't leave that door open. Um, he's much more than just a good teacher. I mean, because if a good teacher went out just teaching good moral principles, but then was saying things like, I'm God, then they probably wouldn't be a good teacher anymore, would they? And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what C.S. Lewis said. One of the things that convinced him is that there's really only three options. You can't just lump Jesus in with everybody else. That's what a lot of people in our country try to do. They just want to lump Jesus in with everything else. He didn't leave that option open because no one that made the claims that he made could just be a good teacher. C.S. Lewis said either he was a liar and tried to deceive everybody or either he was a madman, a lunatic, and was crazy. Or else, he's exactly who he said he was, the Lord of heaven. There's only three options today. And he said, because he lives, he is the Lord of heaven. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And you know what? In John chapter 2, Jesus had cleansed the temple and done these things. And many of the religious leaders and Pharisees asked him, said, by what authority do you do this? Uh, And he said, that this is how I proved my authority. He said, you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. And the disciples didn't realize it at the time, but later on they realized that what Jesus was saying was talking about his body. You destroy this body in three days, I'm going to raise it up. He already had said that. And so he said his authority, question about his authority is he's already claiming that I'm going to die and be resurrected. I'm going to come back from the day grave in three days. He claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God made flesh and his resurrection, he said it will prove it. That's my authority. The resurrection proves that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus didn't say that he was a way to the Father God. To heaven. He said he's the way. He didn't say, listen to me. Jesus didn't say that he was the best way to heaven. You know, a lot of people like to believe in a lot of stuff and just say, yeah, but I believe Jesus is the best way to heaven. No, Jesus didn't leave you that. He's not the best way. He said, listen to me, he's the only way to heaven. I am the way. I mean, to believe like some people believe that there are all these many paths leading to heaven. I mean, that would be just like saying that you can just dial random numbers and get my phone. There's a specific way. He's the only one that made the way. He's the only one that came from heaven to earth and paid the penalty for our sin, conquered sin, conquered death, ascended back to heaven. He's already made the round trip. He's the only one that knows where it is, amen? And there's so much more than that. He said, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the truth. 
He didn't just claim to know the truth or teach the truth or tell the truth. Not just a truth. He claimed to be the truth. As I said, not just a truth, but the only truth. I am the way, the truth. That's who he is. See, all things cannot be true. Everything can't be true. It doesn't take rocket science to figure that out. Either he's exactly who he said he was or he was a phony. And Jesus' resurrection proves for all time that he is who he claimed to be. He said, I'm not just the way and the truth. He says, I am the life. I am the life. He didn't just claim to have life. He didn't just claim to know the secret to life. He didn't just claim to say, I can give life. He claimed to be the source of life. You're not going to have real life unless you have Jesus. It amazes me how many people are going to try to go out there and live and somehow or another, I'm going to find something for myself, get something for myself. I'm going to do something for myself, but I need Jesus to just stay away from me for a little while so I can go get some life. No, you're not going to get life. You're going to get death. That's all you're going to get, death and destruction. Because he's not just the way of life, he's the only life. Okay? He wants to give you life. If you take Jesus out of your plans, I don't care if that's your school plans, I don't care if it's your work plans, I don't care whatever plans you have, they will not be blessed and they will work death and destruction instead of life. He's the source of life. He said, I'm not just a way to life. I am the life. And then he says, see, you can't just throw Jesus in the pot with all the other teachers. You can't just throw Jesus in there with everybody else because he didn't leave us that option because he's the only one that was resurrected by his own power. Um, All the religions of the world, people say all these religions, all the religions of the world involve things that you try to do being religious to try to earn your way to heaven or to paradise or to a higher level of consciousness or whatever it is they have, all the religions. But there's one that's different. There's one that says the way you start is by admitting that you can't do it, by admitting that you're a sinner, by admitting that you can't save yourself, by taking ownership of your sin and putting all your faith and trust in him and what he did for you that you couldn't do for yourself. And that's Christianity. That's the gospel, folks. He's the only way. You can't just lump him in there with everybody else. So the thing about it is he said there is no other way. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. And so I'm sorry. Somebody can be offended if they want to. I'm just going to stick with what Jesus said. Jesus said there's no other way to the Father except through him. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, and I trust that everybody in here does, but I never take that for, for granted. But even if you don't believe in him, you're still impacted by him. I mean, we, he split time. I mean, people who just want to minimize Jesus still have the fact that they're writing 2019 on, well, you remember we used to write checks? By the way, you know, well, whatever. But, you know, you still use that. Uh, but 2019, it sounds so strange. Um, you know, we thought, where's, you know, like the flying cars and jetpacks and things when I was a kid? That, but anyway, uh, that's beside the point. He split time. And even people who don't want to use in the year of our Lord that want to use this CE commentary, still it's split time, right? It still divides the way we look at time. So Jesus had an impact. So it claims that Jesus, or the resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Number one. And number two, the resurrection means that he has the power that he claimed to have. The fact that he's resurrected not only means he who he said he was, but he has the power that he said he has. All right? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus said this, 
He came and he spake unto them, saying, All power. Do you hear that? All power. How much power? All power is given to me in heaven and in earth, in all the universe. All power. Only God can make that claim. All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. And, and so you say, well, boy, he looked kind of powerless on the cross, didn't he? Well, guess what? That wasn't any surprise to Jesus because in John chapter 10, verse 18, he's talking about himself, referring to himself. He says, no one takes it from me. Talk about his life. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. He already said it before it happened. No force could keep him in the tomb. No power was great enough. The power of death could not hold him. A Roman soldier verified that he was dead. Do you realize that these guys employed by the Roman government, by the emperor, these guys did not fail at their jobs. He wasn't going to do a halfway job. Because the Romans, if their soldiers didn't do a perfect job, they had an interesting way of terminating them. It was terminal, (laughs) okay? So you didn't just get fired. You didn't lose your job. You probably lost your head. They're not going to make a mistake on this. And so uh, they verified that not only that his tomb was sealed, but before that they verified that he was dead. They knew what they were doing. They were pros at torture and death. And they had done, this wasn't their first rodeo. They had done a lot of crucifixions. And they verified, run the spear up there, and water and blood came out. They knew for a fact that Jesus was dead. And then they sealed the tomb. You know, the Jews said, hey, you know, he keeps this this words out about him rising from the dead. We don't want something to happen. So something strange happened. They assigned a whole squadron of Roman soldiers to guard that tomb. And they even put the Roman seal on the tomb. You know what that meant? That means if you messed with that gigantic rock that weighed upwards of a ton, if you messed with that to open that up and you break that seal, you're going to have to answer to the Roman government. That's not something that you wanted to do in that day. So all of this stuff was put around there and to guard it. And they still couldn't stop him. I mean, it wasn't just that he was put in the tomb and, and then just this happened. All of these extra things happened around it. It means that Jesus says, I'm going to be raised of my own power. And the resurrection proves that he has indeed the power that he claimed to have. But it also means something else. Not just that he's who he claimed to be. He has the power he claimed to have. But that Jesus can do what he promised to do. Jesus can deliver on a promise. Because as we said, he had promised that he would rise again. And that he would even die for our sins. He had promised that. In Mark chapter 10 verse 34, Jesus, speaking of himself again, refers to himself as the son of man. And he said, and they will mock him, speaking of himself, and scourge him and spit on him. He even knew some of the extra things that would happen besides just being crucified. He knew all this. In fact, he knew all of this and he knew what it would feel like. And he knew about our sin. He knew how worthless we are. And he still looked at you down through time and he said, you're still worth it. I believe you're worth every bit of it. And he says they will spit on him. See, that's the thing why I have to take my sin serious. Because when I think about, not only did he die for my sin, but they spit on him. Why did they have to spit on him? This is after they had scourged him and all of his flesh was laid open and raw. They spit on him. Do you know? They humiliated him. They tried to. Here's the king. Here's the one that could have called 12 legions of angels to destroy the world, deliver him. But you know what? He was still bleeding, and that blood covered that spit. 
Why did they have to, I mean, he had to die for my sin, but why did they have to ridicule him? Why did they have to shame him? Why did they have to mock him? Why did they have to put that mock robe on him, which kind of acted like a gauze and slowed the bleeding, and they ripped it back off when they crucified him? Why did they have to take a crown, a mock crown of thorns, and beat it into his head? This is the God that they, they, oh. He let it happen. I mean, I understand you had to die on the cross, Jesus. Why did you have to let him do all this? It's because he knew down through time it was my shame and my mockery, my ridiculousness, life that was put on him. And he took the mocking and he took the shame and he took every bit of that because of one thing, and that's because he loves you. But he said, this is going to happen to me. And the third day, dialed it down, third day, he will rise again. That was a promise, was it not? See, the cross was no surprise to Jesus. All this stuff I just mentioned was part of the plan. It's kind of funny when you think about it. These people thought they could get rid of Jesus. Huh? They thought they could get him off the scene, get him away from them. And yet, in the end, God even used them acting in their own free will. This is how awesome God is. God even used them acting in their own free will to do the very things that Jesus prophesied was going to happen. And the very way that they thought they were going to get rid of him was just part of the bigger plan so that God did an amazing thing even for them that day. As Jesus died on the cross and they sealed him in the tomb and they just became part of the bigger thing. That they had him buried. They set that watch as soldiers guarding 24 hours. Three days later, he's back walking around. He's back talking to people in his resurrected body. He's even sharing food. They had a fish fry right there on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, you know, does that mean we're going to get, when we get over on the other side of our new body, we're going to eat fish? Probably so. I said, I'm just going to go with that, all right? Yeah, so, uh, but this is the thing. He was walking around. They talked to him. They touched him. He was real. They touched him. The resurrection is real. That resurrected body that Jesus had, they touched him. They could feel him. But then he also vanished right out of their sight. He also walked right through a wall one time. What's that going to be like? Because he tells us that our resurrected body that we'll have someday is going to be like his. You know what that means? The resurrection means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's got the power he claimed to have, and he will deliver on every promise he's ever made. And part of that promise involves the fact that because of what he did on the cross, you can have not only a new life, you can have a relationship with God, you can have a home in heaven and a place that he's preparing for you. You're going to have not only this new body, but we're going to have a relationship with each other. I mean, I'm going to see my Lord face to face. As far as what we see from everything in the Bible, that he keeps that resurrected body throughout all eternity. I'm going to be able to touch him. And and, and besides Jesus, my loved ones who have died in the Lord that have gone on, I'm going to feel that embrace again. Isn't that awesome? And and most of our life is lived in eternity. The The only part that we have here is just like a vapor. And that's going to be forever. No more pain, no more death, no more separation. I want to live for that. I don't want to live for anything that's down here. I want to live for that. I want to look forward to that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, or not Jesus said, the angel said, that's a verse we read earlier, said, he is not here, for he is risen. Did you catch that part? As the angel's just kind of like throwing a little highlighter on there. Did you catch that? Wake up, people. As he said, remember, 
Why are you here looking for him? Don't you remember? <laughs> He's not here. Ding, ding, ding. He's risen. Like he said. It's beginning to come back to him. He said, now, come here and look. You can see where he was. He's not there. Look at the evidence. It happened just like he promised it would. When God makes a promise, you can count on it. That's what it means. Jesus can do everything. You read every promise in the Bible. Don't ever let the devil lie to you that God can't come through for you. He can do everything he's promised to do. And so Jesus, because he rose, are you with me? He's who he said he was. He has a power he says he has. He kept the promises that he's made, and he'll always keep them. Nothing can stop him. That's what it means. What does it matter, though, to me? How does this matter to me? Okay, can we just wrap up with that? What does it matter to me? First of all, it means this. My past can be forgiven. Amen. I'm glad to hear you say amen because I hope you never get over that. I hope you never take that for granted. That means my past can be forgiven, that I can be free from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin is eternal separation from God. I can be free from that. I can be saved and know that I'm saved. I can know that I'm free from the penalty of sin. You ever wish you could start something over? Huh? You ever wish you could just start over? Jesus, I want to tell you, Jesus says, I can give you a new start today. I ain't right here today. I don't care what's going on. I don't care whether you've never been saved or whether you've kind of gotten off track, whatever it is. Jesus says, I can give you a new start today. And his resurrection proves that he can, that he can give you freedom from the sins of your past. He wants to give you a new start, you know. And you know what he says it's like? It's like being born all over again. Some people are so stuck over things that happened in the past that they can't get on with the present. They're carrying the baggage of past sins. They're carrying the baggage of hurtful relationships. They're carrying the baggage of bad circumstances that they're having to deal with right now. It may be their fault as a result of mistakes they've made or it may be not their fault because of things other people have done or just tough circumstances, whatever it is. And you think that you're just going to have to live under that for the rest of your life. He says, I can give you freedom. I can free you from your sin. I can, your past can be forgiven. That Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin debt. You can't pay it yourself. You got to quit trying. You got to start trusting. You got to be believing and you got to be receiving. Amen. In the old days, when someone had a debt and they finally paid it off, they would take the certificate of debt marked paid in full and they would nail it to the door of the business or whatever it was. So it would see that you're free. Have you got that imagery? That's in their culture. They did that. And Paul uses that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, because we know in the Bible that sin is like a debt, that we have a sin debt against God that we could never pay. And he says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus, talking about how he died on the cross, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, your sins, my sins. It says he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. As they nailed Jesus to the cross, it's like nailing that certificate of debt that you and I had against God. My sin debt was nailed to the cross, paid in full. 
In fact, before Jesus died, what was it he said? Do you remember? In the Aramaic, it was tetelestai. It is finished. And it means it is finished. But it was also used in financing in that language when a debt was paid in full. So Jesus was also saying, paid in full. He paid the price that you could not pay. He wants to cancel every record of your debts that you owe. Did you know that? Listen, you know, I'm just saying, there's sometimes consequences of things that come, and he says, I will walk with you through those. We'll talk about that more. But he says, I want to cancel all the debt. I want to pay for all the sin and, I, and, and, you know, all your sin, all your emotional debts, your relational debts, your sins canceled. And you know what? Once a bill is paid, I usually quit worrying about it. You know, once I got a bill paid, I don't go around saying, why, how am I going to pay that? Once a bill is paid, I don't keep sending in checks. I'm like, praise God, it's paid in full. Jesus paid it all. You can't pay it. Oh, this verse right here is like powerful. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That word condemnation means judgment from God. God says, I want to take your sins and your past, and I, want, I, I paid for them already on the cross. The thing is, I'm just waiting for you to receive the gift. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the payoff of sin, death in every way. Ultimately, death means separation from God, eternal death. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, a gift. You don't pay for a gift. Someone else pays for a gift. God himself, excuse me, paid for this gift, and he offers it to you, but you have to receive it. If you don't receive it, you can pay for a gift and offer it to someone. If they don't take it and unwrap it, it'll never be theirs. He offers you this gift and you have to receive it. How? By faith. He says, I, I, I'm offering you that so that now God can say, there's no condemnation. It's under the cross. You get that? Remember you baby boomers and uh, they used to call baby busters, but now it's like generation X and then Y and then whatever. My generation comes after baby boomers. We still remember this. You remember the Etch-a-Sketches? Anybody, any younger people know what an Etch-a-Sketch is? Huh? What? I tell you, yeah. That was the good old days, wasn't it? I mean, you know, now we're so distracted by these things right here. And let me tell you what. This right here could be a useful tool, or it can be a window through which Satan comes right in and steals your soul. Because there's so much available out there through this that Satan will sneak right in and he'll steal your attention. Your time is a great waster of time right there. Even if you're not getting in stuff that's going to mess up your soul. This right here, this right here, the window to everything. Internet could be a tool, but I'm just telling you, there's stuff out there. There's videos you don't need to be listening to and watching. There's music you don't need to hear. There's conversations you don't need to know about. There's chat going on about different things that you don't need to get involved in. All this stuff. What I'm saying is it's a... It's, it's, and we're living in the last days. Satan is ramping up his effort. He's using every tool that he can use to try to attack, destroy our souls, our families, our churches, our lives, okay? But the good old days, the Etch-A-Sketch, you know? Uh, you know I, I never was too good at that. I, I was very, very not good at, with the Etch-A-Sketch. I mean, it's like on my bucket list of life used to be to be able to draw a, a, a real circle. with. Some people could do that. How many of you could actually draw a real circle with an Etch-A-Sketch? Is there anybody in the room? Oh, really? Yeah, I need to give you a high five because that's just, you know, some people could draw stuff. Have you seen that? But I never could. 
I mean, even with a pencil, I couldn't draw very good stick people either. You know, our family played Pictionary. No one wants me on their team. The only salvation I have is I'm a good guesser, right? I'm a good guesser. But, but anyway, as far as drawing, it's like, what? What is that? Uh, is that a tick? Is that a bug? No, it's a person. Anyway, uh, but you remember the Etch-A-Sketch, what would happen when you mess up? You turn that thing over and give it a shake, right? So this is why I call God's Etch-A-Sketch verse. Because of what my life was, because I trusted in Jesus Christ, he clears the slate. My sins are forgiven. And so because of the resurrection, my past can be forgiven. Amen? Free from the penalty of sin. But let's move on because there's, you think that's great? You think that's awesome? Wait, there's more. My present can be changed. My past can be forgiven because of the resurrection. It means my present Life can be changed. I can only be free from the penalty of sin. God wants to get me free from the power of sin in my life. As I become a new creature. Now, as I become a new creature in Christ, sometimes I say, why am I keep struggling with some of the same old stuff? It's because the new creature that you are still lives in this body that was cursed by sin. You go back to Genesis 3 and you find that the flesh was cursed by sin. You have a sin-cursed flesh. But you don't have to be in bondage to it. You've got a power over that. It's called the power of the spirit of life in Christ. The question is, are you going, to yield your, you're going to yield your will to the Holy Spirit or are you going to yield it to yourself in the flesh? So we live in a sin-cursed flesh. We have a struggle there, don't we? And we live in a sin-cursed world that has a bad influence on us all around. And you've got those things. So what you need is the power of God in your life right now and every day to deliver you from the power of sin. That he didn't go to all that trouble, listen to me, to die on the cross, to conquer death, to conquer sin, to conquer hell, rise from the grave, just so you and I could go around being beat up by the devil and live this puny little life. He died to give you power because when you get saved, he not only says your sins are forgiven, but he says, I'm moving in to be the Lord of your life. And he brings his power, his presence through his spirit, God the Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God himself involved in your life to give you victory, to make you free from the power of sin. And maturity is when you figure out you know you're getting maturity when you figure out that you ain't got it all figured out. Maturity is when you realize you can't manage all that life's going to send you. But God can. And you don't just reach out to him when you get in a bind and can't figure out what to do. Maturity is whenever you're walking in Christ and you're turning over him in the beginning. Because you know you can't handle it on his own. It amazes me how many times we just try to live our life, do our thing, and just ask God to bail us out of a bind. That is not the way God wants you to live. That is not God's will at all. Number one complaint I hear from people today is, my life is out of control. You ever feel that way? We all have. People feel powerless to change themselves. People, listen, people feel powerless to break that bad habit. People feel powerless to save that relationship. People feel powerless to get out of debt. People feel powerless to manage, to be able to manage their schedule and their lives. But you know what? These are all lies, lies from the enemy. Well, all you need is a power greater than yourself. You were never meant to live in your own power. The problem is, is that, as I said, we just want God to be our backup instead of putting him in complete charge. And until you put him in complete charge, you're never going to know victory. God wants a relationship with you. Listen to this. First, I mean, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Here's what his prayer. Paul said, I'm praying this. He says, I pray that you will understand something. 
I'm praying you'll understand. Wake up and get your, get your heart open here. I'm praying you'll understand something. What do you need to understand? I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power. That power was displayed in the resurrection, by the way. The God's, that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about here. You ready? This is good stuff, man. I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him, that have faith in him. This is, I'm talking about that power that's in you, that power that wants to operate in you, the power of God. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That same power, we say that song, that same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in me. Is there any evidence of it in my life? If I've got the power of Jesus living in me, there needs to be something coming out of my life that shows it, doesn't it? That's what he wants, and he'll, he'll, he'll help it happen. It will happen. You can't keep it from happening if you've really got it. He wants to give you power over, the, uh, over sin in your present life. And this is why Paul said, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you realize the context of that. He was talking about, I know how to have plenty, and I've been where I don't have anything. Uh, I, I know how to have plenty to eat. I know how to go hungry. And when Paul wrote that, do you realize he was in prison? And yet he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All things. All things that, of course, he pro- Christ approves of, not just I'm doing my thing and say, I can do all things through Christ, you know, put that verse on my tennis shoes. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, you know, he's talking about things that glorify him, of course. His resurrection power is at work to deliver those who are saved from the power of sin. Got it? There's one more thing. My past can be forgiven. It means that. That's why it matters. That my present can be changed, but it also means my future can be faced without fear. That I can not only be free from the penalty of sin, I can be free from the power of sin, but praise God, one of these days, I will be free from the very presence of sin. Because one of these days, when I die, or if he comes back, I'm going to leave this old body. I'm going to leave the sin-cursed flesh. I'm going to leave the sin-cursed world. I'm going to be totally redeemed. I'm going to be made perfect, body, soul, and spirit one day when I receive my resurrected body. And I will never again, you'll never again be tempted by sin or bothered by sin. One of these days in all eternity, we're going to be free from the very presence of sin, all because of what Jesus did on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Because he didn't just die to pay for your sins. He rose to give you new life. That's part of why we celebrate baptism the way he commanded us to in the water. As you go into the water, it shows you're identifying with his death and burial. That he paid for your sins. When you come up out of the water, that's showing resurrection power. He's given you a resurrected life on the inside to live a new life and to walk in newness of life. You can be free from the presence of sin. See, there's one universal fear that all people face, and that's death. You know what they say? Two things that you can't not escape. Taxes and death. Everybody in my family, born before 1941, has suffered a 100% mortality rate. We got some babies that we're expecting, we're praying for, that are going to be born. We're excited about that. We're looking forward to that. But did you know that just as sure as birth is a part of life, so is death. 
We like to talk about that. It's a fear, isn't it? Guess what? This right here means, the resurrection of Jesus means you don't have to be bound by fear of death. You can be free from it. Because why? He conquered sin, and at the same time, the same day, he conquered death. One day, that same power that raised Jesus from the grave will deliver you to heaven where you're never going to be touched by pain or sorrow or failure. By the way, a lot of people got misconceptions about heaven. I can tell you what it's not. The Bible does not teach that you're going to become an angel. Angels are different created beings than humans. You're not going to be floating around on a cloud playing a harp, and it's not like some forever church service. The Bible talks about God destroying this world and creating a new heavens and a new earth. Now, if you saw a morning and a sunrise like what we had today, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Can you imagine, and this world's cursed by sin. The earth is actually cursed by sin, the Bible says. Can you imagine in God's recreated new perfect, it's gonna, what that's going to be like? That you're going to be there, that you're going to see it, you're going to feel it? Do you realize that he's going to have stuff for us to do? Do you realize that the holy city, New Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven? That we'll be able to walk into that, it's what, we, what the Bible describes, the only way we can relate to it, streets of gold and all that. We're going to have all that. We're going to have, you're going to be, you're going to be you the way you were always meant to be. And you're going to have the life God always wanted you to have. And it's going to be perfect and it's going to be forever. I don't want anything to mess that up. How about you? That's what he's talking about. That's what he wants to give you. Now, here's something else about heaven that you need to remember before we close. The Bible says heaven's a perfect place, right? Everything perfect, God is perfect. Perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, total perfection. Sometimes we refer to that as holy, set apart. There's no sin, no mistakes, no evil, no bad, no errors, no death. Perfect in every way. Are you getting the idea that it's perfect? The only thing you have to do in order to be in that and enjoy that is you have to be perfect yourself. Because God can't let imperfection into perfection or it, 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 it taints it. it um, it's the word I'm looking for. It, um, it uh, con- oh, here it is. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. It contaminates it. Yeah. So here's the problem. I by myself am not perfect. I need help if I'm going to get there. All of us, in fact, have messed up, have we not? We would all be left out. This is why the resurrection makes a difference. Because he fulfilled his promise. So let's just wrap this up this way. Get this. All right, are you ready? There are actually two ways to get to heaven. Oh! <gasps> Stay with me. Plan A, be perfect. We've already established the fact that none of us are perfect, right? You got to be, when I say perfect, you got to be as perfect as God. That's the only way to have never, ever sinned in any thought, in any action, in anything to be as perfect as God. That would be like saying in order to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, you have to bat a thousand for your whole career and never commit an error. No one would be in it. I mean, the best hitters now, I mean, it just seems like it's tough to get anybody batting consistently over 300 nowadays. That's three times out of of 10. So so that means, I mean, you know, 
The thing is, is most of the time they don't get on base, right? So here's the thing. All of us have sinned. All of us have failed. So plan A is out for all of us. But there was one who came and was really in the flesh. And guess what he did? He kept plan A. He was fully God, yet he became fully human. So the only one qualified to bring God and human beings together, Jesus Christ. And that's one reason why he lived perfectly, so that when he went to the cross, he was qualified to take all of our sin and all of our imperfection and pay for it, and he proved it by the resurrection. So that leaves all of us with really only one way. There's really only one way, and that is trust, have faith in Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's the only way that we're going to get there. He took your sins and paid for them in full. Then in the power of the resurrection, he gives you his goodness. He makes you into a new creature. He's the only perfect person who ever lived because he was God. He came so we could know what God is like. And by trusting and establishing a relationship with him, you can get in on his goodness. You can get in on his perfection. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's why we come together and worship. I think I had one more slide. I'm not sure. Anyway, don't worry about it. Here's the deal. I'm just going to close with this. If this didn't happen, nothing really matters. If this didn't happen, it doesn't matter what you do. We're just all going to get old and die and be done. If this didn't happen, I'm going to tell you nothing in life matters. But I'm telling you, it did happen. The historical evidence, and there's plenty of evidence sitting right here of the power of his resurrection. Here's what I want to tell you, is that because it did happen, nothing else matters like this. Nothing else matters like this. Do you get that? If it didn't happen, nothing really matters. But because it did happen, nothing else in your life, there's no business, there's no concern, there's no urgent anything that is as important as this one fact that Jesus rose from the grave. And you and I, mark it down, we're going to stand before him someday. I like that song, The Afters Sing. You ever heard it? It's called Well Done. I'd heard it and heard it and I pulled up here. And it just started. You know, I kind of like whenever I pull up somewhere, I'm about to shut off the engine like a song's just over. I don't know, it's just kind of cool. But I pulled up, I got ready, and they started that song. And I, Whoa, I've heard that song. I want to listen. I've not listened deeply. And I just sat there, and I just wept, and I just worshiped. As it just touched me that more than anything else I want, more than any desire in this world, more than any accomplishment of anything, I just long for that day that I hear him who rose from the grave, look at me and say to me, well done. Well done, my child. I want you to enter in to all my blessing and perfection. I want to please him. I'm not trying to earn anything. I don't care who I displease. I want to please him. Oh, what a day that's going to be. 
And it can happen for every single person in this room because of the resurrection. Because he paid for our sin and he gives us his power to live that life that pleases him. Resurrection power, resurrection life. Then we're gonna have a real resurrection and stand before him. And he's gonna say, well done. Enter into the eternity, the forever that I have for you. We may not all get there at the same time. But I want to see you there. Don't let anything get in your way. I'll tell you what, I sure wouldn't want to be caught dead without Jesus. How about you? Let's pray. Father.